Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Good evening, everybody, or afternoon. Uh, welcome to another edition of 108 Stitches Baseball Talk Around the Horn. My name is Scott Morganroth, along with my co-host, Louis Adio White. So we're proud to bring on former uh, Tampa Chamberlain head coach, as well as Hillsborough Community College, a man that wears a lot of Tampa hats in USF, head uh, coach K.R. Lombardi. And welcome to the broadcast, K.R. Glad to have you aboard. Thank you, Scott. It's good, it's good to be here. Well, glad to have you back. Uh, anyway, so obviously you know this is a show, baseball, and you've been around it for a long time, so we'll just go to some different, interesting things and uh, we can talk about them. Uh, what are your comments about the cheating scandal that's rocked the Houston Astros? Boston Red Sox, pretty nasty stuff. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, ceiling signs have been around forever, but not with technology, and that almost, uh, you know, it's cheating. It's just out and out cheating, and uh, uh, there's no room for it in, that, in the game. I mean, if you're going to do it where you're peeking around or, uh, you know, you're peeking back, but, you, you know, if you get caught by the other team, you know, and, and they're going to they're drill you. And, and this this one was a little bit different. Um, you know, they, they've stolen signs for years in the big leagues. Uh, if you look at the Red Sox in their left field, where they, they still had that mechanical scoreboard. I read, remember reading years ago that they had a scorekeeper out there that had binoculars, and he would stick his hand out to signal breaking pitch or, or fastball to the to the hitters. And I think pretty everybody pretty much knew that. Uh, and there was a lot of the old stadiums that had those mechanical scoreboards. They'd have somebody out there. In fact, there was something in the Tampa Tribune, uh, Tampa Times the other day uh, about um, Tony Russo doing the same thing in Bush Memorial Stadium where they had a little uh, light in center field, and they had a guy with binoculars looking, and they flashed the light when it was a breaking pitch. Now, whether that's true or not, it, I, I just read it one time. I know Tony. I, I don't think he'd admit it to me. But, you know, I, I, I wouldn't put it by anybody doing anything anymore. Um, it's a big money game. And uh, the thing is, Scott, if you're in the old days where players stayed on the same team forever, you know, you can almost get away with it. But today where players change teams like you and I change clothes, guys who go to another team and say, hey, this is what they're doing. And this is what the guy did from the eights. So uh, it, it, I think it's pretty hard to do that nowadays. Uh, and they got away with it for a couple of years before – they got exposed. So, and I'm sure the Red Sox did the same thing. He was the he was the, the he's the brain behind that. So, yeah, I mean it's it's not good. It, it it hurt the game. It's it's almost as bad as as the 1919 Black Sox scandal. And uh, you know it, it, it's not there's no place for it in baseball. Do you think that they should put an asterisk next to that World Series championship? I don't see baseball yeah, ever taking yeah. it away, but an asterisk maybe. No. They won't take it away. Uh, Manfred, we were talking the other day, uh, a bunch of us, and uh, saying, you know, the, the players should probably be suspended if they were part of it. And if they did, the Astros wouldn't have a team. They'd have to, pull, they'd have to bring up their AAA team to play. And and I don't know if they can do that. I mean, it's, 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 I wouldn't want to be in Manfred's position because whatever he does, people are going to criticize. He, uh, I know that David Ortiz said, that Manfred did whatever he could do, but of course David Ortiz is an ex-Red Sox, so uh, what's he going to say? I know the Yankee players are upset, 
I know that the fans are livid at spring training. They're uh, they're they're just grossing out the Astros players, and I think they've been hit seven times in seven or eight games already. Mm-hmm. So I think that'll stop in the regular season because unless they get a big lead, I don't think, you know you don't want to put people on base. I mean, if, if, if the, the opposing team has a big lead on the Astros, yeah, they may, they may drill somebody, but first inning zero zero late in the game, game's tight. They're not gonna hit. They're not gonna hit the players on purpose. I don't think so. Well, you're right. Uh, during spring training, they don't care. During uh, the regular oh, yeah. season, they do care when there's a lot more on the line. Yeah, I, I don't think it'll ever be done again. I, I, I think now uh, they've they've basically. I don't think those guys will ever get another job in baseball. The guys that, that were fired. Yeah, right. Luno and AJ Hinch. Hinch. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, think I you're right. Get a job again. I agree. Well, I, so you know, it's it's sad. I mean. Sad. Honestly, the way Manfred handled the scandal was piss poor. Honestly, you, you can't go back, obviously, and, ch- and change it. Although I think it presents a very poor moral dilemma when you kind of just say, come out at the writer rewards and say, we're not going to punish the players because they're provided immunity for telling the truth. That would be like you committing or anybody committing a heinous crime, going to the police and saying, hey, I committed this terrible crime, but I'm telling you about it, so don't punish me. That's kind of like what it reads like to me. Right. I, at the end of the day, I mean, it's, it was a player-driven scheme. We knew this from the beginning. So the idea that Alex Bregman, who despite what he did, is still one of the more exciting players in baseball, Altuve, Springer, you know, Beltran, and, and Cora, the fact that they're still in baseball in some capacity at this point is astounding to me. I think Manford, I think he went into this very scared, and he was scared that he was going to be scrutinized for any of the decisions that he made. But I think that's the biggest takeaway at a $5 million fine to Jim Crane is like somebody going to my house and throwing away my milk. I can go to the store and buy more milk. I, I mean, Jim Crane's a billionaire. I don't think $5 million means anything to him. I, I just, you know, and I and I have a conspiracy that I pitched on the sports exchange, the show that Scott primarily does a couple of weeks ago, where I thought that Crane may have maybe even paid Manfred off. But again, I'm not going to, you know, start something going on here i just just, there's just something there that's really murky and fishy that i don't really agree with i just think this was handled horribly by by baseball and you know what it is what it is baseball's history is built on imperfection as any sport is so you really can't go back and change it you're not going to take it away the way that the ncaa did paternos wins it just doesn't work that way right all right let's go on to a new rule change that was implemented this year called the three batter minimum you told me yesterday when we talked, you weren't too thrilled about it. I don't like it, and I'll tell you why. And, and you know, you, you want to go the, the, the lefty-lefty-right-rider matchup, and that almost takes it away from you, and it takes away some of the strategy of the game. I'm not a – as an amateur coach back in the day, we weren't real big on lefty-lefty-righty-righty because, you know, you can't go to your bullpen and pull somebody out that's really – you're not going to always have a great – people in your bullpen, especially at the amateur level. Now, college baseball has gotten a little better where, where pitching stats are a lot deeper, but back in the day, in the 80s, when I coached in college, we didn't have that. Uh, so we didn't go to that, but I can understand in the big leagues and they do it in college now more because they have their deeper stats. You know, you want to bring one guy in to face a left-hander. Uh, the Yankees, they had Gossage and, uh, and uh, Sparky Lyle. Mm-hmm. They did it many times where they would go lefty-lefty and then bring in Gossage, righty, righty, or vice versa. And I think that that, that you're pl- the guys that are making those rules, I, I don't know what they're thinking about. I know they want to speed the game up. 
and and that's one way to do it. But I, I don't think that's one of the ways they, they need to do. It. I, I think that's wrong. Uh, I think it's crazy. Well, what I just me. Well, what I think about the whole thing is I think Manfred's trying. I don't know whether it's going to work. As I remember back in the days when you and I uh, would see relievers go two or three innings and all of a sudden the specialty uh, specialist came into play. So is he trying to bring back some of that, the longer appearances through uh, relievers? I mean, the Milwaukee Brewers, for instance, try to push Josh Hader at least two innings if they can, give him a little time off and so forth. So I used to like the two or three inning reliever. We'll never see that again. But, you know, the three batter minimum. Does that any, yeah. come anywhere close to that is anybody's guess? What do you think? Well, analytics have taken up so much of the game. Um, we had pitching charts. Now, we didn't have the software back then that they have now where you can go in after a game and plug it into your software, and it's going to spit out what the batter's tendency are. You had to look at it and decipher it yourself. You'd have to look and, 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 and have a, it was manual. You did it with paper. You didn't do it with the software. And... Um, so that, that has taken up such a big part of the game. First guy to do that was Tony La Russa. And then it's now, it's every big league club does it. If you look at Moneyball, that's analytical. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're spending this much money for a guy where you spend this much little and get two players, you know, that, that do this. And they look at a lot of statistics. A lot of guys are running that aren't even baseball people. They're just, they're statistic people. And I think that's taken up such a big part of the game that it almost changes it. I, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not a big believer in that. I, I, I think that they talk about launch angle and launch speed and all that garbage. I, I think right. that that's just too – it's too scientific, and the game isn't that complicated. That's but true. I think that, that they're, they're trying to get into that now, and, and I think that – and I understand the lefty-lefty, right? When you have good people, I'm not going to throw a bad left-handed pitcher against a, a good left-handed hitter if, he's, if the if pitcher's bad just because he throws on the left side. Not an amateur ball. Pro ball is a little different. Okay. All right. Uh, they uh, nowadays uh, they have mound visits. I believe they have four, but they had five and six for a period of time. What are your thoughts about yeah. controlling the mound visits to about four per game? I think that I think that's another thing. I think it all that goes down to speeding up the game, and and that and what's going to do is going to is going to force you to, to to make changes without going to the mound. You know, and and I and you can go around that if you're in a, you don't want to talk to the guy. I, I, you can send your catcher out, or you can, you know, you can. Uh, he can step off back to the mound, and the shortstop can come in and say something to him. I mean, it's, it's there's not a whole lot of conversation going. I never had a whole lot of conversation with my pitchers. If he was, you know, if he, mechanically he wasn't, I could yell something from the dugout to him, like, you know, you're overstriding, get on top of your curveball. They understood what I was saying, but to go out there just to slow him down, you know, that I don't think that's going to hurt him. I think there's ways around it. Slow the game down, and if you want to make a change, you don't. You can make the change from the dugout if you really want to. If that's, that's going to that's not going to count as a visit. Just run them out there. Say you're in from the dugout. Pitcher calls timeout and leaves the game, and another guy comes in. You may see that, and, and that'll that'll save their mound trip. So, um, but that speeds up the game. It doesn't, and that's that to me is the reason they're doing the, the four trips. I don't think it's necessary though. Yeah, I agree. They're trying to change the game too much. Yeah, I don't like too much change. Uh, the arguably the most pure game on the planet. Absolutely, I think you just tinker with something that's good. I can see where if there were a lot of deficiencies, but baseball doesn't have a lot of them. I don't no, know. and then like two, like if you want to go back to the three batter minimum for a second, like think about this: like 
Will Harris only faced two batters in that World Series game in Game 7 when Howie Kendrick hits the home run off of him. And he was laboring. If you put him out there for a third batter, and I know the rule extends to say that you can come in with two outs, get one hitter to end the inning, and you're good. But at the end of the day, you know it's going to happen because this rule is being instituted. There's going to be one pitcher who's primarily a specialist, and say Jerry Blevins, who's in spring training right now with the team, cracks a roster, and he's a lefty specialist for the most of his career. He gets hurt after facing three batters. Then you're going to raise even more questions. And personally, again, I've... You talked about pace of play. I don't necessarily disagree with you, but I don't even think it's really going to make a change that much. It's going to knock off, what, three minutes? Are you trying to just like make these games an hour and 59 minutes the way they were at the turn of the century? Like it's, I don't think you're ever going to get back to that. That's just because baseball 100 years ago compared to baseball now is a lot different. And you know what? You have advertising and you know all these eight companies trying to get their product out there via commercials. You know, like... Capitalism, in a sense, has kind of hurt the integrity of the sport. But to limit the mound visits and to like, I, and as a coach, Kr, I believe you would agree that like you don't want somebody to tell you how to coach. You're in control of your own team. And I think as a coach, and look, this is somebody who's never coached before. It's all about hitting the right buttons and making sure that they click most of the time. And that's how you're going to be successful. To tell Mike Matheny in Kansas City how he needs to use a, a young pitching staff is wrong, and to the same way you would tell a veteran manager how to use his pitching staff. It's just weird that they're policing the game in that way. But again, I mean, like that's a conversation you can have for hours and hours on end. Okay. Sure. Let's talk about moving the mound back. Are you opposed to, or would you rather they keep it the same? That's crazy, Scott. I mean, uh, they're going to do that in that independent league, I think. Um, can't remember the name, and I want to say Pioneer League. I think the Atlantic is where they usually end up making Atlantic League, yes. Right. Yeah. Here's the thing. We talked about years ago when Will Chamberlain was dominating basketball. And Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Big guys were dominating the game. Uh, one day, you don't see a center with his back to the basket anymore. And they were going to they were gonna raise the basket to 12 feet. And they did some experimental games and found out it doesn't really affect it because you're still going to have a guy that's seven foot three, and, and he's it, yeah, it's two feet bigger, but he's still taller than the other guys. I think one of the reasons is that everybody's throwing ninety five. I was at a spring training game the other day, and, and uh, uh, the Yankees, not the Yankees, the uh, the, the, uh, the uh, Nationals had a little right handed guy couldn't be more than six feet, six feet an inch, probably two hundred pounds. I mean, everything he's throwing is 95. Everything. Everything he's throwing fastball is 95. And guys are throwing a lot harder now, uh, but there's still adjustments. And and I, I think that that's what they're concerned with, that, that people are, are throwing harder. And uh, that's why. And, and they're going to throw harder. But I think that leads to the fact that a lot of guys are getting arm injuries because I think they throw too hard. Mm-hmm. And they strain their bodies. And you'll see, you know, you, you, you never heard of Tommy John surgery until Tommy John. Uh, you never heard of torn rotator cuffs till the covering till Steve Busby, and I think that that's what it is. I think people are still going to throw hard, just don't hurt their arm. I think one of the reasons is they don't they don't pace themselves, and they throw 
at too young of an age, they too, too too many. They took too much when they're young. You see in 12-year-old kids, 13-year-old kids, Tommy John surgery. They're throwing too much. This travel ball stuff. And, and, it, and, it's, and these are the kids that are, that are in big leagues now. The young kids, they're getting hurt. Uh, Severino. You know, Severino gets hurt again. And, and now he's out here with Tommy John surgery. Early in the spring, what happened? Did he do something in the offseason? Did he play on winter ball? Did he throw too many innings? I mean, uh, it, your, your arm is not built to do the, what it does, what they're doing. And, and they're shrinking. I know the weight training is a lot better and all that. But throwing so much is is what's causing these injuries. And people are, they want to throw 100 miles an hour. When I was at Alonzo's athletic director, we had Jose Fernandez, a uh, poor young man that got killed in that boating accident. And Jose used to talk to me every day. And I remember him coming to me and said, hey, I touched 100 on the gun yesterday. I said, you're too concerned about that. That's too, yeah, that's why you're, and he hurt his arm his first year up, mm-hmm. you remember. He, uh, he was out. And, and he, he's a hardhead. He, he just wanted to throw, man, he, I, I touched 100, I touched 100. I said, are you getting people out? He said, you can get people out throwing 80 if you throw them all in the right place. You know, and I think, I think you're too worried, too worried about velocity and not worried about location, movement, and change his speed. I'm from the Johnny Sane school. Work fast, change speeds, throw strikes. And going back to the to the to the game, speeding up the game. None of my pitchers walked around the mound great pitch. They t- they took the ball and I said, "We're going to pitch fast. We're going to pitch fast. We're not going to let him get in the in the box and get set. We're we're going to take the ball, get on the mound, get the sign, and pitch. And that's the way we're going to pitch. And, and I had kids that had never done that before. And then after they did it, they said, hey, you know, I really like to pitch. I said, you damn right you do. Because now you've got him off balance. He doesn't have time to think between pitches. You're coming right at him, and we're, we're calling our pitches, and you're, you're getting on the mound, and you're getting the wrong rubber pitching. And I think that speeds up the game. And it also helps your pitchers because they work fast, and they get the pitchers, the theaters off stride. But that speeds up the game, too. But I think the arm injuries are, are, are stemmed from – Throwing too much and throwing too many breaking pitches at a young age. You should throw a curveball to your 14. You know, and I, I, I had a thing at, uh, we had something at Centennial Park the other day here in Ebor City. It was for the baseball museum, and they had myself and a couple other coaches, retired coaches up there. Well, John Cromley was there from Steinbrenner. And we were talking about, you know, kids playing year round, and I said, throwing, throwing breaking pitches at 14. At break, throwing breaking pitches, I'm sorry, at 12. I did a paper at Mississippi State when I was going to graduate school in 1975 and proved, without a shadow of a doubt, a kid shouldn't throw a curveball if he's 14, and he shouldn't throw more than one or two innings a week in Little League, and they were letting him throw six innings. Just, what, eight years ago, Little League's gone to a pitch count now, or 80 pitches or something, I don't know whatever it is. It took them all that time to figure it out after I did a paper and showed it to Little League Baseball in Williamsport through Bobby Rodriguez here in town. I said, look, you need to take this and show this to him. And he said, they won't, ever, they won't ever go for that. I said, they won't. I said, they're not concerned about kids' safety and kids' health. And they weren't. And it didn't seem like they were until recently. And I think that, that these kids coming up now are products of that. They're the ones who get hurt. You never saw Warren Spahn get hurt. Mm-hmm. You never saw uh, Whitey Ford. Uh, poor Koufax had, had arthritis on him. He had to get a shot. But you never saw Don Drysdale have arm problems. People like that. Because they didn't pitch all year round. And they didn't throw curveballs when they were little, probably. And they threw fastballs to strengthen their arm, but they didn't overthrow. So I, mean, I just think it's—I think there's a, it's a combination of a lot of things. All right, Lewis has and, a question. And moving, and moving, and moving the round mountain back is not going to help. 
Lewis has a question for you. Go ahead. Well, I think the moving the mound back is more baseball's subconscious way of saying we want more offense, which you really don't need anymore after last year with the another year of record home run totals. I mean, Mark Burley's a guy that comes to mind when I think of a pitcher who had a very successful career. He fit all the criteria you just stated. He worked fast. They believe he was one of the quickest pitchers, less than 20 seconds between pitches. Um, he didn't throw hard, and he you know he relied on cutting and sinking the ball. Like you know, like Johnny saying, Spawn saying, pray for rain if you want to get historical with it, 1948 yeah. Braves. But I think what I was going to ask you is, as a high school coach, and I know you did it for a very long time, how did you work with pitchers in terms of strength and conditioning? Because when I played high school baseball, our coach's MO was you're going to throw five times a week and then you had a doubleheader on Saturdays. What? How would you work with your starters, your relievers, just in high school as far as like arm conditioning goes, just to make sure that they stay healthy during the season? In our, in our off-season, we had a weight program. We did more lightweights with our pitchers and high reps. And our, you know, our hitters, we always stretched. Um, I had a rule... And I got this from Ron Polk at Mississippi State. Uh, we did a stretch program that um, kids had never, I, I've never seen it. I, I was the first one to bring it into this town, and nobody had ever seen it. Before you walked into the bullpen to, to throw, you loosened up with, and they make they make machines for them now. They've come up, and I wish I had been it. I'd have made a lot of money. I got a broomstick, and I cut it, and I put it behind your back, and you would stretch your arm, your, your, your pitching arm, and push your arm up and hold it. We would do a... a, a some stretching exercise with that stick. Then we took an old inner tube, bicycle inner tube, put it against a fence in our bullpen, and we stretched 360 degrees our arm. And we did it. And before Pick kid picked up, picked up his, uh, picked up the ball. That's what he did. I never had an arm trouble. I never had arm trouble as a pitching coach in college ever or high school. Never because we stretched completely before we walked out and, and we threw. And, and 20 seconds between pitches, our pitchers never took more than 10, 12 seconds between a pitch. We got the ball and we threw. We got the ball and we pitched. We got the ball and we pitched. And um, they step out on us, and that's fine. You know, you can do that. You're going to have to get in there eventually. And they can't do it too much, and umpire won't let you. But but we, we did a lot, a lot, a lot of stretching with our arms. And we did a lot of running. We didn't run sprints. We ran distance because <clears throat> sprints are for speed. Distance, I want distance for longevity and for to, to get yourself in shape. And the guy that really told me about that was my cousin, who was a, a physician. And he was a sports physician in Rockford, Illinois. And he told me, don't run your pitchers uh, sprints. Run them distance. He's just have them where they can run and run and run. He's let them run after practice. Or if you want to do it during practice, when with, most pitchers don't hit. But let them run a couple of miles a day. And that really helped because you get your legs in shape. And Tom Seaver proved that many years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, we stretched our arms I mean, they did not. Kids couldn't understand it. Why? I said, you're going to do it before you pick up a ball. I'm just telling you that. That's where we're going to do it. I've never done it before. So, well, that doesn't mean it's been right. you've been right. So, I, you know, knock on wood, I never had. And if a kid ever had had a little bit of a twinge in his arm, we didn't let him pitch. Um, he didn't pitch the day before the game. He didn't pitch the day after the game. The, the, day, the, the second day after, he, he lightly tossed and he long tossed. Then he'd have a bullpen session, then a day off, then he'd pitch. We would have given five days. And, uh, I mean, sometimes we'd have, we, we would pitch with three days rest, depending on the pitch, how many pitches he threw. But we, we monitored how many, how much our kids threw. Uh, and that got us to the point where we never had any arm trouble. 
any of those. I was pitching coach at South Florida and Hills Community College, and I coached my own pitchers at Chamberlain, and I coached my pitchers in summer ball, and I never had a problem. Okay. All right, let's move on to robot umpires. I, I, I like that. My, I have a good friend, Alan Granda, who's uh, we grew up together and played Little League together, and he, he was saying, you know, and you look at you look at games, uh, umpires are horrible on the plate. They're... I was watching college game this afternoon. And I'm just, my God, they're just, they're, it's like an amoeba, the strike zone. I was watching a game the other day. I watch a lot of college baseball because I have a fire stick and I get to ESPN and I, uh, I'm, I'm, a live, I'm a college baseball nut, so I watch as much college baseball as I can. And, and they're just bad. The umpires are just, they're not getting any better. And uh, I think that the if we have the technology, let's, let's use it. You're still going to need an umpire behind the plate, check swings and things like that. But balls and strikes, if you got if they've come up with a system that's they had one many, many years ago when Yogi Barrow was coming up and I remember reading it in one of the millions of books I've read. And what would happen though, Yogi would stick his glove into the strike zone and it would go off as a strike. So it wasn't a perfected deal. But now with the technology we have, they can trace they can do it from center field when they trace they they follow the ball, I imagine. I mean, there's, there's, our technology is 100 times better than it was in the 50s. So I think that we've got it. We need to use it. We do we do replay on, on base on base running plays or catches in the outfield when we do plays. Let's use the technology we've got for balls and strike. It'll make, the, it'll make the game a better game. Purists, some older purists will say no because there's always mistakes. But those mistakes can cost a lot of money. Right, I'm sure. Well, and you talk about instant play, replay. They talk about 30 seconds and 20 seconds. So, you know, when you talk about that, why don't you go ahead and elaborate on that a little bit more in terms of whether it should be expanded or not? Well, I think 20 seconds is perfect. But, I mean, that's plenty of time for a pitch. I, I think it, I, I'm, like I said, I, my pitches never took more than 10, 12 seconds. Uh, I just, we just, we worked on that in, in our bullpen and we worked on it uh, uh, in simulated games and we worked on it in inter squad games. And I just think if, if, if 20 seconds is plenty. That's more than enough. Um, they've been doing it in amateur ball. And, and not amateur, I'm sorry. In, in some of the minor leagues, they've already experimented with that. And there's been no complaints from what I've seen. Maybe there is some out there that I haven't read about. But, uh, I, you know, the only problem, the, the only guy that would, would cause a problem with that would be like Mike Hargrove stepping out after a repitch. Well, you got to stop that crap, too. You know, Hargrove was a human. The human rain delay. He step out, he'd adjust everything. And, you know, you don't need to do that. But he did, and they let him do that. But if they don't let him do that, he's not going to be able to do that. So that would speed the game up. And, and I agree with these people. The games take too long. I mean, I really, I really do. Uh, but I think that, 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 that if they do little things, but don't change the game by saying you can't do this, you can't do that. Uh, you can't. You, go, you have to throw three hitters or, uh, you know, I, I think that's crazy. I just think that's, that's insanity. But. You know, they may. I wonder who's making the rules up there. Is it is Manfred? He's not a baseball guy. I'm sure they have a rules committee, and I hope they're just not owners. Like in the NFL, they got general managers. Most of those guys were football people. I think one of the big things in baseball is they're making people that are upper echelon, like Sternberg. Those guys aren't baseball people. They're yeah. owners, and they think they know the game and they know the statistics and the analytics, but they don't know the little intricacies of the game. And I think that that hurts if they're the ones making the rules. You got to make baseball people make the rules. Managers, guys like Joe Madden would be great. Uh, I think Tory is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know anybody? Tony Russa, Pinella, the older guys. Uh, you know they they can make the rules. They, they can 
put them as, as a rules committee. Um, but don't let these guys that are just anal- analytical people make rules because they're not. They're, they don't know what they're doing. All right, KR, I want to go back over the pitching injuries for a moment, if I may. Okay, obviously we know how you handled it as a high school coach, but do you think that things enough precautions are being handled at the major league level? I see nowadays a lot of teams are actually assigning an athletic trainer to their spring training quarters and working with these guys uh, year-round or because I've never seen that before. Like, for example, one of my good friends, Kevin Rand, Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You know, was assigned full-time to Lakeland. Of course, it doesn't hurt. That's where he lives, and that's where the Tigers are at. But do you think enough is being addressed along the lines at uh, the major league, minor league levels? Know that these spring training facilities are not just spring training facilities, but they're actual team headquarters. Yeah, I'm thinking that they have, they have to have to take, I would have an orthopedic surgeon on my staff, and I would think they have them. You know, you can't fly your 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 player into Dr. Andrews in Birmingham all the time. I think you have to have an orthopedic surgeon. When I did this paper in 1975 at Mississippi State, you know, Starkville, Mississippi is not a very big place, but I had I found three orthopedic surgeons that were associated with a team that I could talk to, and, and they'd show me stuff and that, that dealt with, with in, in, in baseball. And... Um, so if Starkville, Mississippi can have it, I mean, Major League Baseball can have an orthopedic surgeon uh, at their beck and call, I would think, all the time, especially in spring training. And then when they go back home, uh, you know, the race would be here in Tampa or St. Pete. We have great orthopedic surgeons in Tampa. I'm sure there's great ones in New York. I'm sure there's great ones in every city. And and I would definitely, definitely use them. And uh, I think the athletic trainers now, I don't know if you've seen, I have not seen it, but I know some athletic trainers Ask them what they have to go through to pass that athletic training test now. It is right. immensely, immensely more difficult than it was, say, 40 years ago. When, you know, when I was going, to, 50 years ago, when I was going to school. Uh, I know a good friend of mine, a graduate here behind me, it's a trainer here, and uh, Tim Coker. And Tim's a great trainer, and he keeps up with everything, so he's not. In fact, he's a trainer for HCC. Now, he retired from the school system. But he says the training test now, to, to pass the, the training test is, is like almost like a medical exam, like a med cap. He said it's immensely harder. So you're going to get young trainers now that really know what they're doing compared to the old days. And I think that that's, I think that they do that. I think if they don't do that, they are cheating themselves. I just don't understand why, I, well, I said it before, why there's so many arm injuries. I think they're overthrowing. Um, I don't think a pitcher, uh, that pitch in the big leagues needs to go, but they split the Caribbean league all the time. And I don't know how they did it, but I, again, I think the, the, the pitchers strain themselves to hit that. They worry too much about the gun 
and they want well, like out with the Jose Fernandez. I want to hit a hundred. Why? Ninety six is fine. Ninety five with with an easy motion. You start overthrowing. You know uh, what he did his, after his rookie year. He, he hit with a line drive, I believe it was, and he had to alter his motion a little bit, and he hurt his arm in doing that. You know, and that's that's it's it, when you're when you try to throw that hard, you strain your body. You you, you strain it to the peak where a breaking point, and it breaks because the body's not actually. You know, softball players can throw two games a day because they're throwing underhand. That's the way your arm is right. built. That's mm-hmm. true. When it's throwing up on top, you're not really built for that. And uh, I, I think that you have to have an orthopedic surgeon. I would have an orthopedic If I owned the team, I'd have an orthopedic surgeon. If I had to pay him, you know, a million dollars a year to, 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 to be with my team during, during the season, I'd pay for it. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, yeah so I wanted to make a comment. I, mean, I mean, think one of the – you talk about Fernandez, and I believe, yeah, he did go to school down there in Tampa, um, Alonzo High School, if I'm, not, if I'm not saying the full name correctly. But, you know, one of the beautiful things about him is – um, you know, he was throwing so hard, but he had such great command of his off-speed stuff. The changeup was there. Yeah, I mean, how often when – and this is – I get. I guess this is more of like a contextual question for you. Of all the pitchers that you saw, you know, in all your time that you spent coaching down there, where does Jose Fernandez rank among just pure stuff? I mean, we know how great of a person he was. The decisions he made obviously will – or something that, you know, hang over a lot of baseball fans and just Marlins fans in general, too. But among all the pitchers you saw, where does he rank in your mind among just pure stuff and character, everything, pretty much? The best, best ever. When, when my, my, I was an athletic director at Sybil's High School. And, uh, in, in education, they, they move you around to certain places. And uh, my last year, I was, I was one year away from retirement. They moved me to Alonzo because there were some things that needed to be done over there. And, and I was a veteran AD, so they brought me over there. And... Uh, the principal and I were very, very good friends, and I knew the baseball. You there? Everybody knows everybody, especially if you're either Italian, Spanish, or Cuban. We all know each other. Anyway, uh, I went to the field the first time just to see Jose pitch uh, in, the, in the spring. I didn't go in the fall because I was doing other things. And I went to the bullpen and uh, watched him in a bullpen session. After he threw 10 pitches, I said, "This he's the best I've ever seen. He's the best I've seen at this in Tampa at the high school level. I, I think he's, you know, three years away from being in the big leagues. And I was wrong. He was two years. <laughs> he had the best slider I've ever seen. Oh, 18, my God. 18 years old. It was nasty. I mean, it was absolutely the nastiest slider I've seen. And it was a true slider. Not it was kind of like Kerry Woods, though, no? I was I mean, it was... I mean, Kerry went through a slurve, but Fernandez had the velocity, but he also had just yes. the actual break at the end because the way it ran away from righties is like it made Doc Gooden's curveball look, you know, almost like childlike. He threw a slider at 90. He yeah. threw a slider at 90. You know, I mean, that's, a lot of guys throw a slider. If they were 93 or 94, they're sort of, they a slider at 85. He's throwing a slider at 92. And, I mean, it's just, and it explodes the plate. I, I just thought, there's, there isn't many high school kids can hit this guy. And, and he got beat. Yeah. He got beat one nothing by Plant on a fluke. But I think that's the only game he lost this senior year. And uh, I'll tell you, he's a great kid. Uh, what happened to him? What, he, what he's being accused of has been proven. It hasn't come out that wasn't true. There was no. He did not knowingly, knowingly take cocaine. Mm-hmm. Knowingly. I know his lawyer very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, there's video of that bar. And he turned around, and somebody slipped something into his drink. Ooh. And uh, there, it's it's on video. Why hasn't it brought out? I don't know. I think there's still a lawsuit. 
I never heard but, that. Uh, yeah, it, yeah. They said they found cocaine in the system when they did the autopsy, mm-hmm. and uh, I know Jose intimately. I mean, we, I was—he wasn't eligible to senior. He was—he was actually his fifth year, and uh, as the other record, I had to—I had to make the appeal to him uh, at Bradenton first in the district, and then later on uh, in Gainesville, and he—he, uh, he, uh, I got him eligible, and I, and I got to know him very, very well. Uh, he'd come to my office every day, every day, because he knew I, he found out I was a baseball coach at one time, and you know I'm Spanish too, and 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 he just he come he, he was just a great kid. He's a he, he, what a personality and a pretty good student, believe it or not. He's one, you know we have Esol when, when I when I was growing up in 1960, uh, the first Cubans came over and they didn't have Esol, but all the Cubans learned English in a year, and it helped that we spoke Spanish too because we were Spanish descent or Cuban or early Cuban. And nowadays they have to have Esau because they don't. They need they need help. Well, Jose spoke perfect English with an accent in one year, and he passed the FCAT the first time. Okay, we got kids that are American that live here all their life can't pass the FCAT the first time they they come. They take it, and he passed it right away. Smart. What's funny about him? He wasn't very good in math, and he was pretty good in English. And the, most Cuban kids that came here when I, in the sixties were a year ahead of us, and, and they take algebra in Cuba years ago. They take it in the seventh grade, sixth grade. Now they don't, and he, and he just wasn't very good at math. And I said, you, you know, you could have been my son. I wasn't very good at math either, but he struggled. But he was great in English. So he knew history. He knew, he knew American history. I mean, he was really a pretty smart kid, and uh, just a great kid. Just, mm-hmm. I loved him to death. Uh, and he went through some real adversity to get here. I mean, he had to save his mother, who was drowning, uh, off the coast of Mexico when they came over. Because he went from Havana to he didn't go to he didn't go to, to the Key West route. He went to Mexico the last time, mm-hmm. uh, where he where he finally made it. But uh, it's a shame. I, I I miss him every day. I want to go over a few more things here pertaining to the game of baseball. Then we're going to get into some players. Okay, first of all. Uh, there's four wild card teams. That means that 14 of 30 are in the playoffs. Is that too many? You know, I, I don't mind it. I just don't like the one game. I don't like the one game wild card. It should be at least two out of three. Uh, I don't mind more teams. That's a money thing, Scott. Right. It, it's just you know, they don't have for money. But just the one game showdown to me is I, I don't like it. I think you got to go two out of three. That's my feeling. Well, that's okay. Uh, you want to go four teams and you got to go one one game and then another game. I, I don't like. It. I, I, I go two out of three. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I I am. I, but it's it, it is an interesting thought. The one game elimination. I don't know. I I, I think two out of three. If you're going to go after the money, unless you go with it all the way to squeeze sure. another couple potential games. So I'm right there with you. Sometimes a lot of team sports like to go as many as fifty to sixty percent because obviously it's a money thing that's dominating these days. So. On to the next thing. Size of the roster. The, under the old format, they had 25-man roster this year going the 26th through August. And then in September, they go – the old system was 40 down to 28 here in uh, 2020 with a maximum of 14 pitchers. You've, you've been talking about pitchers a lot. So do you think these, these are good changes in terms of roster size? Yeah, 14 is plenty. You, don't, you know, you, you, never, you very rarely use 14. Um, 12 probably I mean you know, it, 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 I, I think that that's fine I don't think there's anything wrong with that that's uh I don't, I don't have any problem with that at all I think it's, it's I don't think I think it's a pretty good move I I, think, I like it when they go to the 40 man roster because you if you're at the end of the year and you're out of the race 
you can you can bring kids up that you think may help you next year right. and play them. Good point. They're out of the race, play them. And uh, if you're if you're uh, if you've already clinched the pennant, and you're you know you're going to lose somebody to free agency next year, you've got somebody you can let's look at them now. Let's let's look at them now at the end of the year and see if he can replace this guy, or we're going to have to spend some more money and keep him. So yeah, I think when you expand a roster, is always good. So are you opposed to the new system at 28 then? No, I think I don't think you're wrong with that. I think 20 is fine. 20, yeah, okay. You know, and and four, 14 pitchers. And I think you got to keep three catchers. I, I really think you got to right. keep three catchers. Uh, sometimes they, they only keep two, and then somebody that can catch. And, you know, in the NHL, they, kept, they keep two goalies, and they got to bring somebody out of the Zamboni to, to, to be the reliever. You know, that's, that's, that was crazy. Yeah, that but, was. Yeah, I, I, I thought that was cute. But, yeah, no, I, I like the 28. All right, well, since you're in the Tampa area, obviously it's an area known for a breeding ground for players. We're going to limit this to you because we know how many players have come out of there. Tell me the best players that you've ever coached that have gone on to be in the major leagues. I know Tampa's a uh, uh, goldmine for prospects. And then we're going to get into the obvious Tampa guy that we both know we're going to bring up near the end. The best guy I ever coached that went made it big leagues was uh, Lenny Faito, but guy right behind him I only had Lenny for 14 games in the summer before he got drafted but uh, I coached a guy all summer named Mike Heath um, that was a catch with the Yankees and then with the, with the A's and Mike and our Barry Schallenberg was our head, was the head coach and I was assistant Barry became the head coach of Alabama eventually but our brilliance we had him he was playing he was shortstop in high school we thought maybe he would end up playing third at the next level but they took him and I think he played shortstop for two weeks and they put him behind the plate made him a catcher he became a really good catcher um, he was probably as, he wasn't as good as Fido Fido played for me when he was 17 uh, in the summer and at 19 he was a starting shortstop for the Twins and uh, some of the bad things that happened to him he, he had a long career uh, in the big leagues uh, he probably is the best player ever he had four home runs and a doubleheader for me once wow. and they walked him with a, they walked him with the bases loaded one time uh, intentionally and that, that, I've never seen that before uh, he's probably the best I've coached okay uh, let's talk about the uh, let's talk about Fred McGriff the most obvious person on the planet I, I believe he belongs in the Hall of Fame I think he's definitely uh, an individual that should be there not there who knows when it'll ever get there hopefully through the veterans but uh, what are your thoughts about Fred McGriff yeah, yeah I'm, I'm surprised at that um, I don't know what you have to do to, to be in the Hall of Fame, um, I went to actually went to school with his brother. His older brother and I are the same age, and there's a lot of difference between Fred. Fred was a little little guy, and uh, he went to Jefferson. I went to Plant because there was no Jefferson at the time, and they built Jefferson, and Fred went there, and he's just a great guy. He, uh, he I don't know if you know this, he he, uh, he did not make the Jefferson team as a sophomore. Mm-hmm. And, he, uh, yeah, he, he he had a little problem with swinging the bat, and he came as a junior, and uh, Pop Costa had him. That year, Pop, uh, Frank Vermeule was Pop's assistant. Pop, uh, Frank was an assistant coach of Pop. And Frank was a great left-handed hitter as a kid. And he got Fred and changed him uh, a little bit. And Fred couldn't sniff a left-hander. And when Frank got a hold of him, you remember Fred, he didn't have any problem hitting lefties right. in the big leagues. And I'll tell you one thing, Frank really had a lot to do with that. Uh, but Frank made him a great hitter in high school. And then, of course, he got better and bigger. And he was a little bit awkward, but... He, but uh, uh, I think he should be. I should think he should be in the Hall of Fame. I, I think he's great defensive first baseman, had power, hit with hit for average. 
didn't have to platoon him against lefties. Uh, I mean, I'm, what are you going to do? I, mean, I, I know it's a lot of politics, but I think you got to overlook that. I mean, maybe the veterans will get him in, hopefully. Yeah, He's not- a great kid. Comes from a great family. Um, I don't know if you know, his son uh, played wide receiver at Jesuit, and then he went to Kansas and played wide receiver. I don't know how much he played. Kansas wasn't very good, so I don't, never heard too much about him. But he went to Kansas and played wide receiver for them. And for those individuals, and for those individuals that want to know who Pop is, it's Pop Quester, one of the best coaches that ever uh, coached in Tampa baseball. So I just want to make sure that uh, props to Pop. Lewis had a question for you. Not a question, but Kr, I think the reason he's not in the Hall of Fame, and it's analytics aside, because you can make a case against him in that too. I think it's just one thing is that he never, you can't really identify him with one team. Like Ricky Henderson, for example, is an is a major outlier i mean like the numbers are clearly significant um they signify a hall of famer but ricky henderson played for 11 teams but you can identify him with the yankees you can identify him even with the mets but you can mostly identify him with the oakland a's fred mcgriff i mean is synonymous with the city of tampa and he did end his career i believe with the rays but he played for the braves he played for like the padres the blue jays i mean a myriad of teams and more that i i didn't even name and I think that may be one reason that voters do him. The 94 strike, and Scott said this a myriad of times, and I agree, kind of killed his case at 500 home runs because he right. retired at 493. And if he plays, obviously, that season ends in early August. If he plays the rest of the year, there's no doubt in my mind that he can hit six, seven home runs and get there and maybe be at 501, maybe even 504 Melot territory. But... You know that those two things are what killed him. You, at the time when voters were really voting, especially when he first came on the ballot, round numbers, three hundred wins, three thousand strikeouts, those are three five hundred home runs. Those are benchmarks, and I think you know he you, fell just short. You're probably right. You're probably right. You're right because he, 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 I'm, I'm a little prejudiced on this, and I like the kid. I think he's a, just a great human being, and, and uh, never, you never you never see anything anything controversial about mm-hmm. him. And he was just very he was very steady. You know, a, a real steady first baseman, and uh, yeah, you're, you're probably right. He, he's he's not identifiable like, like you're saying, Ricky Anderson, uh, and he, that probably does hurt him. That probably does hurt him. So, yeah, that's probably the reason. I mean, I agree with you. Look, I'm sorry. I think he belongs in the Hall of Fame, and I've come around on that. It's funny, too. Like, you look at his overall body of work. You look at, like, metrics like OPS Plus and while War favors Eddie Murray. I think they're very similar as hitters. First basemans who had a decent ability to get on base. They hit for a good amount of power. They were never going to hit 50 home runs a season, but they were kind of similar as players. I mean, they, they were just quiet. They did their job, and, you know, they were pretty much steady. Eddie, I mean, the same thing with Fred McGriff. You kind of knew what you were going to get every year with them. But yeah, some voters right. just didn't like that. All right, so let's I, – go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I, excuse me. I identify Fred more with the Braves than anywhere else. Yeah. 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 You know. But, yeah, again, that's it's hard to ask a Tampa guy that really likes that, – that, <laughs> We all stick together pretty much, and we, we all are very loyal to each other. And and he's just such a good kid, and I, yeah, we all of us like to see him in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, no question about it. And of course, I feel pretty connected to the Tampa area because sure. I lived there a couple of years, covered a lot of high school baseball, and dealt with a lot of you coaches. I've been from Pop Quest to yourself, and I, I can't obviously forget about. Uh, I think. Uh, Who's the other guy that I'm trying to refer to? Seven Eddie Cartieri is a guy who's a very close friend of mine, too. So I, 
all you guys are to me like special family in a sense. Let's go over a couple more things before we wrap up the broadcast. Uh, you and I always joke, joke around it. I had a uh, pick of the litter when I was covering high school baseball. Jim Henry of the Tampa Tribune used to give me the pick. And obviously I uh, p- piggybacked on Tampa Chamberlain, the Speed and Lumber Company. I want you to describe to the audience what the Speed and Lumber Company was like. Well, we, we, we really had some kids that could really run. And I loved – I come out of, of coaching in college at a time where the running game was a big, big deal. Uh, the Miamis, the Cal Fullertons, Arkansas, they were running, and running, and running. And uh, I, I believed in it. And I, and I remember talking to Ron Frazier and Skip Bertman when Skip was still the assistant at Miami and, and, and talking about base running. And they really influenced me. And we ran. And we – in 27 games in, in, in 85, we stole 127 bases. And we had uh, five guys run on their own. And uh, so we could run. And, and, and everybody knew we were going to run. And they just couldn't stop us because we could run. I mean, we, we knew how to take a lead. We coached, coached that very, very well. How to take a big lead uh, and how to run. And we even ran lefties because we take a short lead and go on first movement. And, uh, you know, we, they didn't know what pitch we were going on. And they couldn't pick it up for me because – I didn't give a signal to five guys on my team. They were running on their own. At, uh, the only way they didn't run is when I stopped them. And we have some pretty good power. Um, so and we hit home, we hit a bunch of home runs. And we hit, we hit as many home runs as, as they do now because the bats weren't as live back then as they are now. But uh, but we did. We, I think we led the conference in home runs, too. We definitely led them in stolen, stolen bases. And that's where we came up with the Speed and Lumber Company. Uh because we could swing the lumber, which wasn't lumber, it was metal, and we could run. And uh, every every team I've ever had, we we ran a lot because I, I had a lot I had a lot of knowledge about it. Which is funny because I couldn't run a lick, but uh, I, I I taught base running pretty well and, and how to and how to we take the extra base. We never base hit the right field. Guys on first base, he, he's running. He's looking at me at third base because we're, we're coming. And even and if it's to the it's if it's to the left side of the center fielder, we're gonna base it up the middle, run our first. We're coming because if if he's right-handed, he's got to run all the way. If he's left-handed, he's got to he's got to uh, cross over, turn around, throw us out. You, you're, you're gonna you're gonna have to try to throw us out because we're gonna and, and that's amateur baseball, and you don't see that at the big league level too much because the guys have cannons. High school they don't, and we're gonna run and run and run. So I guess that's where that name came from. But it was a good name. It has speed. Well, I love the name. Our leadoff lead hitter stole 30. Our number two hitter was Jay Gruden. He stole 30. Our number three hitter was stole 24. Our fourth hitter uh, was Ken Hagen, who's a county commissioner now. He didn't run, but he still stole about nine bases that year. <laughs> well, he had 419. The guy that ran for him stole 27 bases. Okay. Then our, uh, our sixth hitter was our DH. He couldn't run very well. But then our seventh hitter was our right hitter. He could fly. He stole 27 bases. And their eighth and ninth hitters weren't great hitters, but they could both run. They stole, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 apiece. So we, were, we stole against Jefferson one time against Pop. I think we stole 15 bases in a game, 12, 12 I think it was maybe 12. And the first inning, we, 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 would, we would lead a game off a lot. Base hit, steal second. Gruden comes up. Gruden's second hitter, he gets a base hit, he steals second. Murray comes up, he gets a base hit, he steals second. We'd be up two to nothing on the first three hitters with three base hits because we could run. So, and, and we did, and we ran. And, uh, you know, if you pitched out, 
we're running the next pitch after a pitch out. All right. Because you're not going to double pitch it out. The only guy ever double pitched out me was Frank Vermeer because he knew I was running. He knew <laughs> we were running after. He just took a chance and he double pitched and threw us out, which is one of the few times he got thrown out all year. Do you, ever, do you ever stay in touch with Jay Gruden? Uh, and if you need to find him, he's with the Jacksonville Jaguars? Yes, I knew that. I knew that. I have not talked to Jay. And if you were supposed to go see him when they played an exhibition game here in, in Tampa when he was with the Redskins. And uh, uh, I, never, I never could get down to the field. I didn't have any connections to get down there, which is amazing. I lived in Tampa all my life, and I didn't have any connections to get down there. I wanted to see him because Kenny Hagan, our county commissioner here in Tampa, or him are very good friends, and they communicate, but they – he doesn't get to see him that much either, but uh, hopefully I can see him. He's uh, he's one of my favorite guys. He could he's a heck of a heck of a high school baseball. But he went to Louisville, played quarterback, and I remember telling their one of their assistants, I said, you know, he, he could play baseball too. Because yeah, we're not going to let him play though. And he could have been all American in baseball as a left fielder. He could he could hit. He didn't hit with power. He's a spray hitter, but he could run. Good fielder. Uh, didn't have a great arm, believe it or not. Had a great arm in football. He didn't have a great arm in baseball, but that's why he played uh, left field. But he, uh, he came up as a shortstop with me, but he couldn't play shortstop in the left field. But, uh, yeah, we, we ran. And, and the team I had the year after wasn't very good, but we ran. And all my summer teams ran like crazy. I had a kid steal seven bases in a doubleheader once in a Legion game. Uh, in fact, he's, he was looking for a scholarship, didn't get one. We were playing Lou Garcia's team. who became the coach at HCC and a very good friend of mine. At the end of the game, he told me, he goes, I have a scholarship left. I want that kid. His name was Johnny Gray. He said, can he run like that? I said, he, I said Blue, he, he runs every time he gets on base, he's on. I said, he can he can just flat out fly. And he went and played baseball at Hilbert Community College. So, yeah, we, we always and, – and kids that couldn't run real well would still teach you how to take big leads and go on and, and read the pitcher. And, and that, that's a key to, to, to stealing. You steal, you steal the base on a pitcher, not on a catcher. Okay. And finally, you know, since you're in Tampa, you definitely made your uh... – uh, rounds around the Tampa baseball scene. You coach at USF, by the way. I'm wearing a USF shirt and a hat, just so you want to know. Uh, Hillsborough Community College. I think you're at Tampa Spartans too, weren't you? Is that correct? Yes, sir. I was assistant with Frank Vermeer for three years. Tampa okay. was my first college job. All right, so you got Tampa, you got USF, Hillsborough Community College, and Tampa Chamberlain. When you summarize uh, the Tampa rounds, give, give us your best memories and describe your entire experience dealing in an area where you've seen uh, prospects come from all levels, from the college to the high schools, as we wrap up the broadcast. Well, the, 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 you could, you're going to get great. You know, back when I was coaching junior college, um, that was I was going to be coaching waiting at HEC, and things didn't work out that way. Due to some, we'll be here forever talking about that. But I'll, I'll, the fun part is you could just recruit Tampa back then and, and be great because there's so many good players. Uh, kids aren't going the junior college route anymore. They're going right right away because they plan more games. And JCs are getting the also rents. Back in the old days, a lot of four-year schools won't recruit kids out of high school because they didn't think they were ready. And that was probably the most fun I ever had coaching college was the year I coached at HCC. All Tampa kids, we had one kid from out of state, but he was a, a walk-on. And, uh, it, it was just a lot of because you knew the parents, you knew the kids. Kids play hard. Tampa, they, they don't like to lose. And getting getting kids like that together was the most fun. At Tampa, we have a whole lot of scholarships. They didn't have them like they have now. So, you know, we, we had kids from up north mostly. We had a few Tampa kids. South Florida was, you know, we just weren't in a really good situation at the time. And I could go on forever about that, and I don't want to. But HCC was probably my most fun. I knew I was going to be the head coach there one day. I mean, I was supposed to be. And I knew I was going to be able to recruit. And we, and we were recruiting really, really well in the area. In fact, 
we we recruited we recruited two years in advance. We had gotten kids to come, and, and we would open our batting cage on Sunday, and kids from all over the county would come and hit our batting cage on on Sunday, and they were coming. To, they we didn't, you know, it was perfectly legal because they were coming. We were opening the cage and just letting them hit, and we were standing there watching them. And we we watch we see kids that were sophomores, and we'd be making little notes on them, and they come and talk to us, and then we talk to their parents. So we, we had recruiting set for years in advance, and uh, we were going to be a, a big time uh, junior college power, and things didn't didn't work out. Uh, Lou Garcia left at the end of the year, and it's just a long story, but that was probably the most fun I ever had. All right, well, Kr, I want to thank you very much for being on 108 Stitches Baseball Talk Around the Horn. Um, it's been a pleasure uh, going over some of our old times together. I enjoy working with you, and I enjoy having you on the program every time the situation presents itself. Lewis, any final thoughts? No, thanks for the talk today, KR. I really like hearing some of your insights on that stuff. I love to hear, you know, regional guys give their story and definitely had a great time talking to you today, so it was a blast. All right, KR. Thank- always, fun, always fun, Scott. Always fun with you, buddy. Well, I'll look forward to getting – I look forward to seeing you when I come back to town, okay, uh, KR? We'll get together for an adult beverage. You better believe we will. All right, KR, thanks a lot for, for uh, giving us okay. some of your Sunday, and look forward to seeing you and talking to you real soon. Thank you, KR. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Have a good one. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.